This is Amanda Edwards, and I'd like to welcome you to the Edwards Empowerment Talks. This podcast provides a platform to empower individuals and the community by showcasing stories of resilient people who have refused to let life's challenges prevent them from achieving their dreams. The Edwards Empowerment Talks will also highlight the work being done in the community that will help to positively shift the trajectory of this nation through stories of adversity, perseverance, drive, struggle, and success, the podcast will empower others to believe in their dreams and pursue those dreams despite whatever challenges may come their way. It is also a vehicle to equip the community with the tools necessary to be the change they want to see. I welcome you to tune in. You don't want to miss this. Well, hello, everyone. It's Amanda Edwards, and I'm back with the Edwards Empowerment Talks. And this time on this episode, we have a very special guest, and it happens to be Dr. Jen Welter. She happens to have broken records, that is, in the NFL by being our first female coach in the NFL. She's had a wonderful career in which she has broken many glass ceilings and has been told the word no, but persevered nonetheless. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Dr. Jen for being here. Thank you for being here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I appreciate what you're doing to, you know, uplift and empower people, especially right now. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the things that was interesting when I was reading more about your story was just the notion of how perfect of a fit you are in terms of the ways in which you've used your own life to defy the odds. And I think people need to kind of hear those stories because sometimes we think, oh, that's for someone else or I can't do that myself or no one has ever done X or Y or Z before. And so I love to try to listen to stories, talk to people with who, who have very compelling stories about how they were able to convert the no's into yeses and not take no's for an answer. So I'd love to learn a little bit about that career trajectory. But of course, we all have a beginning. And so I'd love to hear a lot more about who you were before you were Dr. Jen and, and you were just a child in terms of who you wanted to be. How did, where did you grow up? What was your family life like? Yeah. So I was born and raised in Vero Beach, Florida. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a small town and yes, there are actually Florida natives, you know, that, it, that is probably my, my first breaking expectation thing. <laughs> There are a lot of imports too, but um, was born to, um, you know, an artist mom okay. and a war hero slash doctor um, who also raced cars. Yeah. Okay. Um, so they were this this crazy combination of awesome. I like to say because my dad really, you know, had been through the fire um, literally firefights and, you know, had a very clear kind of code to life in, in what bravery was and some of these things. And a lot of the things he did were larger than life. So it, it didn't feel outside the box that you kind of do those things. Mm -hmm. And my mom was this, you know, she was an art teacher at a drop-in center for teens for, um, their early marriage. And she just has this way of the world through kindness and an appreciation for you know creating beauty in wherever you are. 
So I think I got, you know, a little bit of both, right? As as a kid, I was um, a a lot fearless, always had a high motor. Uh, My mom would tell you that the second I discovered that there was a bottle and you could eat and run, it was all over for me, right? (laughs) Holding and doing it. Like, I was like, no, no, give me that. Cause I want to be like, I was like crawling around or doing whatever with like, you know, the motor. If, if I liked something, I wanted to know all about it and I wanted to be good at it, right? From a very young age, um, whether it was, you know, I competed in academic games, um, even in grade school and was also um, in all the school plays. So I was not afraid to be out front. And then I played a whole lot of sports. Um, you know, the earliest athletic story that my dad tells is there was a fun run at the school and you know, it was something all the kids did. Um, I think I was in kindergarten maybe at the time and my sister is older. So I think that that gives a lot of who I am too because I never saw why she could think that I couldn't, right? She might be taller, she might have longer legs, she might be older, but I was still trying to like keep up with her always. And oh, to, second, to the second ch- children out there. <laughs> So when you were growing up, it sounds like your parents did not, your siblings or your sister, nobody was telling you no. So in your mind, it was really kind of what you were able to accomplish is what you could, what the limit was on what was possible as opposed to anyone saying, oh no, that you, you can't do that. Girls can't, can't play this or tell me a little bit about what you played, what athletics you were involved in. Um, and, and were there any real formative situations that occurred at that, at that level? Um, you know, lots of formative situations actually. And, you know, my dad had always said like, he thought he wanted boys until he had girls Hmm. and, you know, and and I love that as, you know, they talk about girl dad now, but he didn't see it any other way, which is what I really appreciate. You know, like we would go fishing and we went deep sea fishing and he'd be like, look, the fish doesn't care if you're a boy or a girl. Yeah. You either catch it or you don't. And everybody wants the biggest fish, right? It's not like there's a pink rod and a <laughs> and only the little ones are gonna bite over here. Yeah. Like the outcome is on you. Right. I, I caught my first blue marlin at 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it wasn't boys versus girls. It was like next person up and like the outcome is on you. And yeah. so I really appreciate that about them. Um, and funny enough, that's football was different for me because it was a sport that literally shut down our whole town, right? On Friday nights, everybody went. Um, there wasn't a college team that was close. So it's not like it was fractured and some people were college and then high school. You know, the closest pro team was like, you know, whether it was Tampa Bay or Miami, and that's like three hours away. So it wasn't a pro team town. Right. It was high school football. Yeah. And everybody went. And I remember watching it and thinking that those players were real life superheroes. Yeah. Right. That The lights were the brightest lights in the world. And I wanted to be out there. And it was also one of the first places in the world that somebody told me there's a difference between what girls are allowed to do and what boys are. So were, so were you seeking, did you try to get on the team or you just kind of learned waiting. already? No, that was no, not I, something you could do. 
Mm-mm, I was so young at that time. Like that was little, little. Okay. Um, and I, you know, it just, it kind of like didn't compute, mm-hmm. but it also wasn't a thing. So it wasn't like, you know, I had all these people crushing my dreams. It was just like, oh. you know, and, and like my friends were, were cheerleaders and, and I was like, no, I can't do that because my back would be to the game. Right. So it was like, very matter of fact, I'm supposed to be watching. I am drawn to this and the place that they have girls. I, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I remember telling one of my friends, like, no, I can't do that because I was strong. And, you know, I'm like, I might drop you because I'd want to watch the game. Right. Yeah. So it really just this, like, no, does not compute. Yeah. And so I played every other sport. Um, my first sport love was tennis. And I really credit that with the ability to watch women play on TV. Hmm. I remember watching like Monica Seles and Gabriella Sabatini was my favorite. And she was, and Zena Garrison was so strong and beautiful, but Gabriella Sabatini was my favorite because she was so good. And she just looked like everything I thought a woman should be. She was beautiful and powerful and winning, right? Like on her own. Mm -hmm. And there were very few places um, in sports that you could really watch women then. And so Mm -hmm. I was enchanted by tennis. I played, once I got the bug, I mean, I played all the time. I would like, you know, go out to the courts, whether it was the backboards or whatever. And at my highest point, I was ranked, um, about 50 in the state of Florida, which, you know, is really pretty good because they play a whole lot of tennis in Florida. Um, But I went to a coach and though my story sounds big, like I always tell people, I'm like, this comes in a five foot two frame. So at that time, and I was playing in under I don't think a lot of people know that about you. Mm -mm. Nope, they don't. I mean, it, it sounds big, right? Like, you know, coaching in the NFL or, you know, my career as a football player, like it sounds big. And yet at this time I was not even at my top height of five foot two. And I was about this big around, right? Like skin and bones, but I was a feisty little player who would never quit. Um, Went to that next level coach. And he told me because of my size and my build, I would never be strong enough to play pro tennis. Hmm. So then- So then what did you do with that? Well, you know, I think the important thing to realize is it's not like I threw my racket down that day and just quit, but the kid who found a reason to find her way to the courts started finding reasons to do other things. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was like this big dream just kind of started to fade away until the point where I stopped playing altogether. And as as somebody who's a coach now, I tell that story because it's so important to put things in context for kids. Mm-hmm. And it's so important to have intentional conversations and to, to teach them how to overcome those things. And I also tell it because, you know, I, I like to tell them that, you know, maybe he was right. I'd never be strong enough to play pro tennis. I grew up to play pro football instead. <laughs> There you go. And so you were told, no, it wasn't going to work out professionally for tennis. You started to redirect. You started doing other things. 
So tell me when you got to the stage when it was time to decide college and what you were going to do. I know you came to some decision points. Tell us a little bit about those decision points. Yeah. Um, you know, the good thing about um, what that tennis coach put in front of me that day was like strong enough. And that was something in my control, right? I couldn't control that I was, you know, short, but I could be strong. And so I started lifting weights at a really young age, um, like 14, which most people do not do, or at least did not do then. Thankfully they do it now and became a multi-sport athlete, um, was a two-year captain of my soccer team, did a whole lot of things, but being from a, a small town and actually going to graduate from I was in the first graduating class of my high school, Sebastian River High School. I didn't know a, a lot. I didn't know a lot about, you know, how athletes actually got to playing college mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, um, just because like my SAT scores were the highest in my school, but they still could have been higher, mm-hmm. right? Like there wasn't a lot of point comparison. Um, And so it was kind of like I could play soccer at a D3 school or go to Boston College. And um, that was one of the top 10 business schools in the country. So I decided I would go to BC, Mm -hmm. um, kind of put soccer behind me. Um, And yet when I got to BC, I found this sport that was like the coolest thing I had ever seen in my entire life. It was like football, but they didn't need pads and they still tackled, but there was kind of like soccer to it and it was rugby. And I absolutely fell in love and played all four years for BC um, and then got recruited for the under 23 national team from there. Um, At which point they then again realized that I was five foot two and (laughs) half the size of everybody I was going up against and the head coach actually told me like that I was in the wrong position um you know but our team was really small so it's what we did and I literally was half the size of the other people that were doing it and that I was the best one there but at this level she could teach other people to do what I did but she couldn't double my size yeah and yet again it was like this big athletic dream was was so this is the second time so the first time was tennis Five foot, five foot, foot two wasn't going to do it for a career, a professional career in t- tennis. And then you're getting told after having a collegiate career in rugby that now on this next level, your size was also a hindrance. Tell me when she heard, when she said that, because, you know, if you've spent the last four years playing a sport, doing it well, obviously doing it well enough to, to n- make it to the next level. Then for them to say by virtue of something you can't help, meaning your your height, that you could no longer pursue it. Tell me how disappointing was it? And did you at that time see that as your your profession? Tell me about what your views were about sports in your life. Was your goal to make that your profession or was it your goal to kind of see ways in which you could fit that in and try to balance uh, other work with that? So, but yeah, tell me about that. Well, I'd always believed I was going to be a professional athlete. I really like from, um, from a young age, 
I just had this passion for sports. It was a place I came alive. I was able to do things that other people weren't. I mean, I was putting up four hour tennis matches at 12 years old. Oh, wow. Right. And, and it was a lot of, it was just the, um, you know, the, the, the fight, right? Like I would wear other people down. I wasn't the like biggest, strongest, fastest, but I was never quitting. And so then again, in rugby, you know, it wasn't just my height. It was my weight. Like I was literally half the size of the other people I was going against, but I was well coached and I was strong and I was tough. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do things on the rugby field that, you know, were special, right? And yet to get to that level and have it be the coach, she was the Harvard Radcliffe coach. Um, her nickname was Bubba, actually. And we played against them all the time because it was like Boston College versus Radcliffe. Mm-hmm. But we were such a small team at BC that like it was putting me out of position. Um, and she was like, I have girls who are terrified of you. Like she goes, you were by far the best prop here. You were our team's favorite, but I can't put you in this position because you're just not big enough. Right. And, and if you were anything else, I would probably taken you. And it was crushing. Absolutely. Me. Cause there wasn't you know? anything you could have done to change that. Mm-hmm. And there's no more laps you could run more weights that you could lift it was just by virtue of something that you were going to b- be born with and die with, which is your height. Right. You can't change that. Right. right. We haven't figured that one out yet. And, yeah. and it was, it was, it, it was so upsetting because I, I really had thought like, okay, you know, it wasn't tennis, wasn't soccer, you know, these things happened, but I found my way to rugby and now I'm a U.S. national team tryouts and like, man. Yeah. No. Then it was no. So then were you depressed? Tell me a little bit about how you turn this no, because then this is a little bit further on, right? Like early no's when you're young, you kids are resilient. You, you learn how to navigate through no's early on because you get more of them, right? But as you progress and you get more specialized and better at what you do, those no's are a lot more harsh to hear. And, and it also it hurts because of the amount of investment you've put into a particular path. So tell me, how did you pick yourself up? Was there a moment where you, you didn't know? Did you feel lost? Well, you know, thankfully, I mean, I still had, um, I think that was the summer between my junior and senior year. Mm-hmm. So I still had some, some rugby to play and some teammates to, you know, really enjoy and that being a part of a team has always been something that um just speaks to me right like I thrive in a team environment I love like I'm one of those people who would go you know run in front of a moving train for one of my teammates and I have because I played football and I was a blocker right like that's what we do yeah and so you know thankfully it wasn't like um I never got to play again after that but um it definitely was tough and and you know you find the strength to go on i think in those situations with your teammates because you know they were all super pumped that i had gotten the, you know, the tryout and right. then i was with them and you know we were back to what we were um and yet at the same time um it was like you know when i graduated college it was like okay well now you have to grow up and get a real job right? yeah like your, your dream of being a professional athlete is done. Yeah. So no more dream job. Now it's time for a real job. 
now it's time for a job. Yeah, and, and so and so you did that. You were a headhunter, right? Like right out of school, you became a headhunter. So, did you think that that was what you were going to keep doing, or did you feel like this is just for now? You know, when I took the job, it was funny because it it wasn't what I wanted to do. I went to business school, and I thought I was going to take over the marketing and advertising world, right? Like I was like a creative, you know, I had that for my mom and I just thought like, you know, I'm going to be coming up with those cool campaigns and all this like really cool creative stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet I had detoured and done research uh, my senior year on like recruiters preferences and, you know, businesses perceptions. And nobody looked at me for marketing or advertising. I had zero opportunities. Everybody wanted me in like the headhunting space. Everybody loved the fact that I had done research in that space. And I was like, so I took the job and I was really good at it because I was matching people. It was like a matchmaker for work. Mm -hmm. But I remember telling my mom, like, this can't be all there is to life because I felt like I was dying a little bit each day. Can I I pause you right there? Because I think sometimes people have that sensation. They feel like they're walking in a journey that is not theirs. And they're saying to themselves, this is what I'm doing right now, but this isn't me, or this isn't my path, or at least this isn't my destination. And you had that nagging sense as well, telling your mom that and and, this, and so forth. So how did you, because I know the next, that next move you made was extremely bold, in that you left your luxury apartment in downtown Boston and then said, I'm going to join professional football team. Tell me about that. How, how does one make the leap from one day waking up, going to work, putting on a suit to, to, for your job and, and paying your bills uh, with comfort and ease uh-huh. then to saying, I'm leaving this behind. I'm taking the risk and not just taking the risk for sports, football of all sports, which is a very difficult sports and you and sport. And you had only played, you had, you had played other sports like tennis and rugby. You had not actually even played football uh, in a, on a collegiate level. So tell me how you made that leap, because I think that is a huge one to make. And I'm sure you had a few people raise a few eyebrows. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I think there, there is definitely a good part about being young in that. Right. And, and <laughs> uh, you're willing to take a fall. Right? right. And like the idealism, which, which, um, I think we get taught that we have to lose, right. That there, there is this life or this destiny or a belief in something bigger. It's like so many people around us, um, they speak through the scar tissue of their heart, meaning their mm. own loss. And that and that takes that dreamer away, right? And, and it teaches us that, you know, that might be for someone else, but no, you're normal or, or you're gonna have that life. And I just, I, I had never fully bought in, I don't think to like, this was my life. Um, you know, I would look at the people who had been doing headhunting for like, 20 years and they were in my office and, you know, they were talking about how much money they made and they just looked like, like, no, that wasn't you. You just did not feel you had a deep sense 
even when you walked in the door, that that was not you. And you yep. did not allow the the nose that you had received to stay or become permanent. You just figured out a new route. Yeah, and I didn't know what that was at the time. Like, it was funny because I would teach aerobics uh, before and after work because I enjoyed that way more than the work. I would, you know, when the weather was okay, I would rollerblade to work and then get there and I was like, okay, I'm ticking the box on what time I have to be there. Meanwhile, I had like three other jobs, which I was fine with. So it wasn't a work ethic, right? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like any of that. It was like, nah, I have to do this. I love doing this. And there's a big difference. Yeah. And so did y'all hear that? So the notion of I have to do this versus I want to do this. Um, and, and, you know, you're not going to always, it's not going to always be perfect. So even with stuff we love, it's not going to always feel like this is my dream, but ultimately you, you have a nagging sense of that purpose or, and, and when you're not aligned with that purpose, you know it. Right. Like, I mean, I was teaching aerobics before work. Yeah. Right. That is not an easy thing to say that you want to do every day. Right. Like, but you needed that fulfillment. you know, I, I mean, some days you want to just sleep in, right? <laughs> Roll over and hit the alarm clock. But I could get up for that easier two and a half hours earlier than I could for that job, mm-hmm. right? And, and it showed me a lot about myself. And so I was playing flag football on weekends. Okay. And full disclosure, coming from rugby, you know, I probably didn't play flag the way you're supposed to play it. <laughs> Um, and so I was probably really unpopular in my flag. Like I was probably the least popular person. So the refs needed to pay attention to you. Oh yeah. Like throughout my career, refs have not been my friends. I think being Sarah Thomas now, um, is the first time in the history of my life that a ref has not wanted to throw something at me. (laughs) So, Um, so you were playing, you had kind of already gotten into a rhythm of playing, but of course, playing on the weekends is different yeah, than I mean, what you not, ended up yeah, doing definitely not the same at all it was just these are places that I feel better right yeah. like in places that um I feels enjoy. like you yeah and so the the general manager of the team at the time uh the mass mutiny which is now the Boston Renegades um called the flag league and said are there any girls playing flag that you think could play tackle and that's when I said, um, I never really got, um, and you know, they were given one name, which I said, like, because I had never really stopped playing tackle. They were probably like, yes, please take her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's already doing it. Right. Um, <laughs> and you know, so I agreed to an open tryout and, you know, for, for anybody who's been like bent on themselves or had those moments that are hard. Like, I remember even if I, after I agreed to do it and was excited that there was still this, like, what if I don't make it, right? right. Like, what if this sport that I've loved kind of my whole life, what if it doesn't happen? And it was scary. And I think we, so many of us come to that, right? Like, you know, um, that that fork in the road where it just forks you up beyond belief. And you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can take the rejection. And it took me finally realizing that I could live with 
being told that I wasn't big enough, right? Or mm-hmm. that I wasn't good enough. I'd been told that my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. But what I couldn't live with was wondering for the rest of my life what would have happened if I would have just gone out for that football team. Yes. Say that one more time. Yeah. What I couldn't live with yeah. was wondering for the rest of my life what would have happened if I had just gone out for that football team? And, you know, Dr. Jen, that I think that is a question that nags at a, a lot of us when we are at the brink of trying to do something that really causes us to get out of our comfort zone and pursue what we believe might be our pathway, even though it might be very different or counter to what we've been experiencing or living. And that that notion of, will I regret not even trying? And I remember thinking that to myself when I was trying to make a decision about whether to to stay in my seat that I loved serving as a city council member or to pursue a U.S. Senate seat that, you know, if I lost it, you know, I would not be serving at all. And I remember saying to myself, will I regret the decision uh, to not try in a moment like this and so I relate very directly to that because I just had that experience and I think a number of people out there who are watching and listening also relate to it because it's it is fear I mean it is is fear inducing to jump out on a limb even if it's your dream and I think sometimes people think oh well if it's your destiny or it's your dream it's going to be easy to do it or you're not going to have any fears or trepidation about it and that's just not true. No, it's hard to do different things. It's hard to, you know, to go for great, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, I would argue at times it's hard not to, right? If you felt like you were dying a little bit each day, like I did, but it is hard to step out. Yeah. It's hard to bet on yourself. And part of what makes it hard is that so many people are going to tell you you're crazy. That's right. So tell me who said you were crazy. So you had, at this point, mom and dad at home, when you growing up, knew you were this tenacious, you know, dreamer and, and pursuer of your bold dreams. But were they still saying the same things when you called them and said, hey, by the way, I am going to be trying out for this team and it's tackle and it's, you know, a a major step. And by the way, I don't really want to pursue my career as a headhunter. I I don't know that they ever thought headhunting was a career for me. Okay. So they knew. (laughs) Right. Like they're like, you make good money and you have a job. And the thing that I got out of that, like making good money and you know, I had two jobs was that I liked to buy presents for people that I cared about (laughs) and I could afford to. But other than that, there was nothing about the job that really moved the needle for me. I was like, yeah, I'm bored. It's easy and I make money, right? Like it was kind of like, mm. and and they knew that doesn't ever work for me. That just doesn't move that the needle. That wasn't you. Mm-hmm. Um, but what was funny is when I told them, you know, that I wanted to play football, my mom was like, oh, no, not football. My dad, <laughs> my dad was like, Nancy, she's going to have a helmet now. This is good. <laughs> All these years we've been needing a helmet. Now she's got one. Right. Like my mom was like, oh, well, that's a good point. There you go. So it was like, it was actually like, oh, well, that's better than rugby. Yeah. Because they had watched me actually 
you know, on my, I think it was my 21st birthday, um, you know, break my nose and have, uh, you know, a concussion and two black eyes from a tackle I'd made because I had no helmet. So yeah. all of a sudden the prospect of a helmet was an upgrade. And had they heard of the National Women's Football League at that time or were they familiar? Tell me a little bit about kind of what their knowledge was of that. And, you know, was there a lot of explanation you had to do with people? Um, well, with people in general, yeah, most people, I mean, unfortunately, people to this day don't know that women play tackle football. Like there's a lot of them because it doesn't get the press that it should. Mm -hmm. um, I always say we were the best kept secret in sports. We don't want to be a secret anymore. Okay. Um, so, you know, there's always an education process with women in football. But regarding my parents, um, you know, it was kind of like I was when I was a kid. Like, if this is what you want to do, then, you know, we're behind you. Like, yeah. And I, so think, I think there's something to be said when your parents – and the people that you love support you because it's almost like, you know, for those that have people around them that are not being supportive, it feels like that they're having to fight multiple battles. So not only do they have the battle of, am I going to make the team? But then if you don't have a supportive network behind you, it's another whole, it's a whole other emotionally draining exercise. So, you know, my parents were encouraging to me, thankfully, when I was young and it was kind of like, well, what does she want to do? You know, what's she doing next? <laughs> you know, like they were just like, OK, but and that helps a lot. And they always let me be really self-directed in those things. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Like it wasn't like it was their agenda. Yeah. Right. It wasn't like you have to be this person. But there were certain things like if you start it, you're going to finish. Yeah. Right. Like, so like guiding principles. Yep. But. But, you know, they really never said like, oh, you know, I want you to play tennis because, you know, I'll relive my dreams through you. It was like, oh, OK, like, what are we going to do to support you in playing tennis? Right. And that's so um, important. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you raised that. And so you have these tryouts. You're nervous. What happens next? Um, You know, obviously, if you followed it, um, I made the team. Yes. And. When I did, um, were you I, shocked or were you fairly confident that you would make it or you didn't know after I went through the tryouts? No, I knew I nailed it. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, I caught every pass thrown to me, even though I'm not a receiver. I, um, I killed everybody in the mile. I had just run a half marathon. Um, the weight tests, um, you know, I, I maxed out. So, I mean, from an athletic standpoint, like I nailed it. So I wasn't, I, I really wasn't nervous. Yeah. Um, and I knew I had done a great job and everybody was really excited. Right. And having come from rugby, they were like, oh, well, she already knows how to tackle because most women at that time, you know, were learning they had football. So it was taking great athletes and teaching them football. Yeah. Um, and so to me, I made a promise to myself that day that I would step up to every challenge that football put in my way. It was just very simple, right? Very matter of fact, like this is, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I'm going to find a way to continue to say yes to being able to do it, which, you know, um, some people would say, well, you know, that that's kind of setting your sights low. And I'm like, yeah, but how do you set your sights when everything is brand new? Right. Like when things are are being done for the first time and there isn't 
a history or a proven, you know, career path or trajectory, right? When you know you're at the forefront of something, like making sure that you're prepared and, you know, promising that you're committed to the game means that you'll do a lot of crazy things, but you'll, you'll keep trying. And that was fine. And so you also, besides for, you know, trying out this new adventure, it was a different pay scale, wasn't it? You had to, it was a share a little bit about like that. Sometimes there's a sacrifice for the things that we want, right? A hundred percent, you know, and especially doing something different you really have to be committed to doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. Um, The first check I ever made for playing women's pro football was in, it was after the 2004 season, um, which was my fourth season playing football. Uh, We went 12 and 0 that season, um, won the, you know, Super Bowl, if I'm allowed to say that, you know, the championship. And at the end of the season, we got a ring and a check for $12. Wow. A dollar a game. Wow. And so what, what is with that? What there was just, that's, you know, that was the finances and it's, you know, honestly, it's not far for women in football today. And Um, so tell me about that. Were, were you aware of that when you made the decision to, to transition and how did, did you, I mean, the time commitment I am assuming is not, were, uh, worth of a dollar a game in terms of the amount of time you have to put into training, practicing all of the rest. So t- what's, why such a disparity? Um, you know, I mean, there are disparities all across women's versus men's sports, you know, mm-hmm. there's no place in our society where the gap between men and women is bigger than in sports. Yeah. Um, and yet for us, it was a belief that, you know, we could move the needle and change society through football, mm-hmm. right? Like it, it's America's game, right? We, we call football America's game. Mm-hmm. And yet it's only been America's game for half of America, mm-hmm. right? It's the only sport that doesn't have parity at any level mm-hmm. from peewees to the pros. Yeah. It's like, if we could do this, if we could win here, if we could do it the right way, couldn't we do anything, right? Couldn't we, couldn't we prove that there's, there's no field that women don't belong in or on. There's no game that we cannot play. And so it really is a belief that there is something bigger than just the dollars to make, mm-hmm. right? That passion can drive you to do other things. So if you were like me, you structured your life and, and really everyone who played obviously had to structure their own work-life balance. So my life for a long time was you know, work by day. I went into full-time personal training and aerobics so I could do all the things physically that I needed to do and get paid for them and have a schedule that was flexible to do what I needed to do on the football field. Yeah. Right. Work by day, play football by night. All the football practices were scheduled after work because everybody else had to have another job. I don't know yeah. any place you can survive on a dollar game. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, $12 was a championship season, y'all. So yeah. This is the- Right. And then for, it was also go to school by late night. Um, and so it was, how do you structure your life and your dream hustle slash side hustle to be able to pursue what it is that you believe? And we all did that to, you know, different extents and different careers and in our own ways, um, because we had to. 
Yeah, you didn't have a choice. And so you had this extremely successful uh, professional football career, which then you parlayed into coaching. Tell me about that transition. And then, of course, the ultimate question, which was how on earth did you go uh, uh, from uh, into becoming the first female coach in the NFL? But first, tell me a little bit about the transition. So during my women's pro career, um, I had a lot of opportunities and got to play with some of the best women in the world. And they're still family to this day. And, and there's a strength and a sacrifice that comes from that, right? Um, because we were all in the trenches together. And I always tell people that's where my strength comes from, um, is that I may be out front, but it's leading for all of us if I'm there or if someone else is, right? It's, it's not just you right? It's we It's our sacrifice. It's our trenches. It's our, you know, all of that. And so um, in 2013, uh, it was a, a big year for me. Um, I became a PhD. Um, so I was finally Dr. Jen. You became Dr. Jen in 2013. That's right. Okay. In 2013, um, I played for the U.S. national team the second time. Yeah. Uh, won my second gold medal. Um then the Dallas Diamonds, which was my dynasty team, the team I played on for 10 years and won four Super Bowls with. Um, we were told by the owner right before the championship game that we better win that game because this would be our last game as a diamond. And I don't know about you. I've given free game speeches before, but I don't know if she thought that that would be something that motivated us. <laughs> have never gotten the brakes knock me so bad as we did as a result of that hmm. um we were so devastated right it was like what are we fighting for like yeah and, and and we got crushed by the chicago force i mean the force played a great game and we just looked like we don't have a team anymore right like yeah. we stomped on and so we were all lost you know, um, a 10 year team for me and one that had, you know, it was a team that was founded two years before that, a dynasty in women's football, one of the best teams to ever do it. And we kind of felt like, you know, lost kids, I, mm -hmm. I, I would say is the best way to do it, right? And you've given everything to something and um, none of that matters. It's mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. And we were all trying to figure out what we were going to do next. Um, and I got a call from a team called the Texas revolution, which is a men's indoor football league team. And they wanted to meet with me. And so not going to lie, I wore really tall shoes that day. <laughs> so you were uh, a tall five, two. I know I was going to be at least five foot four that day. <laughs> right. Um, because I didn't know why they wanted to meet with me, but. Oh, so you didn't know why they just said, Hey, can you come in? We want to talk to you about some things. And, you know, I mean, there could have been a number of things, right? Like I was at that point, I was very well known in Dallas um, because I was a great marketer. I was among the best players, yeah. but I was definitely the coldest marketer at that time. Mm -hmm. So if you knew a woman who was playing football in Dallas, you knew who I was, mm -hmm. right? So I think the name preceded me probably even more so than the height. Like they probably had no idea I was so little. Um but they basically said, you know, we think it would be amazing if you would go through a day of training camp with our guys. And I was like, excuse me, what? 
<laughs> the day of training camp. And they're like, and I was like, so let me get this straight. You want me to like come in and maybe catch some passes, smile for the camera, get you guys some good pub. And they were like, yeah. And I was like, that's an insult to me mm-hmm. as somebody who won my second gold medal. Mm-hmm. And if I was any one of your guys on your team, I would absolutely hate it. If you're going to do anything with me and your football team, I either do everything that the guys do step for hip, step, hit for hit for all of training camp, or I do nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, I was like, I might have just gotten myself killed. <laughs> you were like, what did I say? Okay. Because <laughs> it was something that I did not ever think I would do. Right. Yeah. I was out in my whole career. I have five foot two, 130 pounds. I would never play football against men. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to play football against men. Yes. Okay. Um, because, I, you know, because I wasn't going to let them use me as a publicity stunt. Right. And, you know, um, it ended up that not only did I go through all of training camp, but I ended up being on the team for the whole season, though I was on practice squad for a lot of it. Um, And, you know, we basically did the impossible. And I learned a lot about the guys and developed great relationships with them over the course of that season. And so when there was a new head coach the following season, um, Wendell Davis, former Dallas Cowboy, mm-hmm. uh, there was like an off-season event. And I didn't know they were going to be there. We hadn't seen each other in a while. You know, like when you haven't seen your people for a while and you walk in the room, right? And it's like a party. I mean, they picked me up and tossed me around like a football because relative to them, I am one. And Wendell said, who is this girl that all my guys love? And his defensive coordinator knew who I was and said, coach, that's your running back. And Wendell told me later, he had heard everything about me. Mm-hmm. And yet he had never imagined that the guys would love me like that. Mm-hmm. And it caught his attention. And so he sat me down and starts grilling me about football, what was good with the team, what wasn't, all of these things. And I was like, okay, first of all, I survived a year. Um, I think it aged me dog years <laughs> every day, right? I was 99.99% sure I was not doing that again. Okay. Right? <laughs> right? Like, I was still in one piece. I had not gotten seriously injured. Like, I'm good. Yes. Right? You were like, that and is so- going to be it now. Thank you very much. So I thought you know, if this guy's going to ask me all these questions, I'm going to make sure it's better for my friends, like my family, because there was some stuff that just was some bull and I had nothing to lose. So I could say it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, don't own me, right? Like I'm a free agent. Like, I'm just going to make sure boys are taken care of. So I kind of threw down and was like, this was good. This was not good. Like this was problem practice, blah, 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 blah. And he starts grilling me on that stuff and football. And he's a really direct dude. He's like in my face. And I'm like, Oh, you want to go with football? Okay, let's go. Right. And we're like going back and forth. And he calls me the next day and he said, all Deb and I could talk about on our way home was how you have to coach this football team. And I was oh, like, Oh, no. so from that conversation, he he's the one that came up with the idea of oh, coaching. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I never, ever, 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 ever thought that I would coach football. Okay. You know, I was a crazy linebacker. I just sat quarterbacks. I wasn't the like 
let me no. yeah, run the plays and yeah. Okay. I was like, give me the quarterback. I'm about to make her life, a, you know, a problem, right? Like I was a problem child. Right. I was smart. I was really dedicated, but I was really focused. Um, and I just never saw myself that way. Plus there were no women who were coaching. So it wasn't like, you know, something you could look at and see. Right. Um, and so, you know, Wendell said, you know, he said, you're going to coach my football team. And I said, no, because what do you mean? No, not a lot of guys are going to give you this opportunity. You're taking this job. And I said, no. Oops. And I hung up on him and he called me back the next day and told me about myself. He said, do you remember how I told you not a lot of guys were going to give you this opportunity and you were taking this job? I said, yeah. He said, good. I took it for you. You're coaching for me. And by the way, you can't quit. Otherwise, the entire narrative surrounding women coaching and men's pro football will be, we had a girl once and she quit. So wait a minute. So he said you, he accepted on your behalf. And so then you were in, in a position where you had to do it or you felt, you felt like you had to do it. Otherwise you wouldn't let a lot of people down. And so what did you say? You know, I'm still thankful to Wendell to this day for seeing something in me that I didn't even see in myself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really important because it, it, it's common for women to, for us to self-select out of things, uh -huh. right? Whereas guys are taught to go for it and, you know, this, that, and the other. Whereas women, a lot of times will overcheck the boxes. Oh, yes. <laughs> we overcheck. I mean, I'm coming in from a political angle. So I'll tell you, there's so many times where women feel like, oh, I have to be asked to run for office. Oh, it needs to be a critical mass of people who've asked me to run for office. Oh, well, let me make sure all of these elements of my life are complete and finished and all of my ducks are in a row. And as we're doing all of that planning, you, our male counterparts literally might wake up one day, one day and say, I think I'm going to run. And there you have it. And, and we've gotten conditioned and it's nothing wrong with being thoughtful about our decisions, but we oftentimes will discount ourselves in ways that our male counterparts don't. And that's the challenge that I think we have got to become conscious of because a lot of times we don't even know we're doing it. We just think we're planning or we just think we're making sure we're prepared. And, and of course we have to, and you always want to be prepared, but there's never going to be a perfect moment for anything. And I think nope. that's the key piece is just getting in that deep end and keep swimming. And, you know, I had impressed him. So he wasn't thinking like, oh, I need a female. Let me find one. Right. Or, oh, it would be a really good thing to put a female in here or what that meant. He was like, like, you know, ball and these guys respect you. Like he told me later, cause I was like, I've never coached before. And he was like, look, I can teach you how to coach football. I can't teach that mm -hmm. the way those guys responded to you. That's special. Mm -hmm. Right. And I can't teach that. That is really what, you know, I'm drawn to. And I, you know, I can teach you how to break down film or, you know, um, some specifics that you haven't been exposed to, mm -hmm. but that, you know, so, and he, he was just blown away by how the players responded to me and listened to me. So and they always joke, which is the funniest thing is they're like, oh, she's like our little coach on the sidelines. Yeah. Cause I would, and I, you know, especially like, I'd be like, Hey, they're doing this. Like next time, try this. Mm -hmm. And they'd like work and they'd be like, yeah. And I would joke with them, like literally joke. And I'm like, yes, I get to take 
all of this knowledge in this five foot two frame and put it in your big old body. It's amazing, right? Like, and we would joke about it when I was on the team as a player. And yet, and then you, you know, became coach. Not crossed my mind that I should actually formally be a coach. And so you, you, you accepted and, and how did that experience go? And then, and then how did, how did you go from uh, that experience to coaching in 2015 for the Cardinals? So interestingly enough, I, you know, the year I played with the revolution was in 2014 and that was the spring season. So the year I coached for them was also 2015. Um, and so it was a very big year, um, I guess, to say the least, right? So um, coaching with the revolution was amazingly difficult, but not the coaching part. Um, I actually was really good at breaking things down to them. The players absorbed it. They were really open. We had a great time. Um, I kind of knew more than I thought that I did. And the players liked the way I approached things because I was doing it from how I used to coach myself as a player. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we didn't have a lot of systems and stuff in place. So I really had to figure out a lot. Um, and yet the hard things were more of the relationship level things um, because the, the management of the team wasn't great. So we had paychecks bouncing and we had, you know, players going in and out and these really tough life things. Um, and, and yet, I mean, and we started with a coaching staff of nine and by the end of the season, we had two of the original coaches, um, Wendell Davis, not even being one of them. So it was like me and Devin Wyman, um, and having two football coaches is completely like unheard of. Um, and so, you know, there were a lot of lessons, mostly life stuff. And yet we took that team to the championship game um, and we lost in the championship. But it was one of the most rewarding things I'd ever done because it was so insane. Right. And I was making, I think, like seventy five dollars a week, maybe to coach. And so it was this ton of work, really tough. I'm having to explain to guys why paychecks are bouncing or getting them not to quit. And yet like $75 a week to me was a way upgrade from yeah, women. Cause you had and your like, one, $1 a game. Right. And we're used to balancing all those life things, mm -hmm. right? Like, cause it was always a part of women's. So I was prepared in kind of that integration of life and the tough decisions to play football already through, you know, my PhD and my experience in women. So the stuff that the guys were struggling with, I was like, we do this all the time. Right? Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I thought I was, you know, doing this way different thing by being in pro men's football and it's the same, mm -hmm. right? So it was more the same than different. Um, and, and so that part was really pretty cool. And then um, this magical thing happened um, and I, I lovingly say that like when, when one woman makes progress in, in one area, it, you know, it breaks glass in other areas that she may never even know. Hmm. And so Sarah Thomas got hired by the NFL as the league's first full-time female ref. Mm -hmm. And as a result of her hire, mm -hmm. a reporter asked Bruce Arians, if he could ever see a female coaching in the NFL. Hmm. 
Hmm. And Bruce's answer was simple. He said, the second a woman proves that she can make these guys better, she'll be hired. Um, And so I talked to my head coach about it. And he's like, well, we should call Bruce. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pick up the phone. (laughs) Let me call him. Holla. And he was like, can you get me his number? And I was like, can I get you his number? Didn't you play in the league? Like, don't y'all have like that boys club thing? Um, but he kind of challenged me to get it. And so I did, and I called it, um, and I called the Arizona Cardinals on behalf of my head coach to, because my head coach wanted to let their head coach know that though it was not the NFL, there was already a woman coaching in men's pro football and that they should talk. Yes. And so I apparently was very convincing because I talked my way to BA's assistant and BA's assistant, Wes was like, I know Bruce would really want to take this call. So let me get your head coach's number and I'll have him call him. Um, Now it was like a few days before the draft and contrary to movie draft day, like no life happens before the NFL draft. Like it is all football. And so he, you know, it's before the draft, so it probably won't be a while, but I will have him call. I thought I had completely gotten blown off, right? Like, mm-hmm. you just gave me a good excuse, but you were really nice. And I was like, man, I can't believe I called the Cardinals. Like, that was so <laughs> uh, Like, uh, Like, uh, I mean, the closest I'd ever been to an NFL sidelines at that point was the nosebleed section. So yeah. it, it was bold and... Um, I didn't think it would turn into anything. So um, let, let me pause right there because I want yeah. to make sure that you're sharing kind of what you were experiencing along this portion of your journey. So this wasn't your dream in terms of as a little girl, you wanted to coach an NFL or even as a collegiate rugby player, or even playing professional women's football, even when you started coaching coaching in the NFL wasn't necessarily something you had been aspiring to. So the mm-hmm. fact that you have now opened your mind to new horizons or a new goal or a new um, opportunity like this, were you kind of just in disbelief and saying, eh, this is not legit. This can't ever happen because you've never seen anyone do any, do, do this path that you're on now. Or did you begin to believe the hype and say, I'm going to do it? And tell me what you were experiencing emotionally as you were processing this walk along unchartered territory in such an extreme way. Well, I mean, at that point, you know, I had left a message, right? Like, that's all it was. And I I really did think I was being blown off because it was like, like, no way. Like, he's, he's not going to call back. Like, so you weren't not- you weren't waiting by the phone because you knew you were probably not going to get a call back. Mm-hmm. But I was proud of myself that I I called. Yeah. Right? Like, it was crazy. Like, I couldn't even believe that I had called. And about two weeks later, I walked into practice and Devin was, you know, he was elated. And he said, you'll never guess who called me yesterday. It was Bruce Arians. And he said, tell me about this girl. And I was like, what, (laughs) you know, and it, I mean, it was, it was so crazy and so outside the box. And, you know, he said he had had this great conversation with BA and like, would I be open to it? And he was like, she wasn't, I would kill her. Right. Like, 
And then at the end of the call, it was like, yeah. So I told him, uh, coach, you can't talk to her yet. Cause we got a championship to win and like, you know, talk to her after season. And I was like, what? <laughs> what right? Like there was, no, there was, again, there was no like, okay, this is what you're going to do. There was no plan. It was like, yeah, he called me and he's interested in talking to you, but we got to win a championship. And I was like, all right. Yeah. And so you win the championship. We did not. We made it to the championship. Okay. Made it to the championship. The championship game, um, which was huge. And we had two coaches and yet the, like, I think it was maybe two weeks before the championship or something like that. I had to go to, we had an off week and I had to go to Phoenix for a meeting. And it was funny because um, one of my buddies had actually coached with the Cardinals before and he was in town for uh, a camp and he was like, Hey, what are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I, I was like, at that time I was like in Am Amarillo, Texas or something. Right. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, I'm in Amarillo. We got a game. And he's like, that's right. You're coaching an indoor. How do you like it? And I was like, Oh, it's pretty amazing. Like the road trips are tough, you know, but whatever. But he's like, do the guys listen? I was like, yeah. And he goes, man, you know, I was with the Cardinals last year and I think Bruce Arians would really love you. Now I had not told anybody that I had called the Cardinals or that this might be a thing because I really had had no follow-up. And I was like, okay, I have to tell you something, but you, you gotta... <laughs> right? don't like, tell like, anyone. I had no follow-up. Yeah. And I told him and he was, I knew it. I like, I just had a feeling with BA and he's like, I'm going to call him and let him know that I know you. Right. And how awesome you are. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah. So when I had to go to Arizona, I still hadn't heard anything. And I just kind of like, you know, let them know. I'm like, hey, just FYI, like I've got to be in Phoenix. So if you happened to have talked to Coach Arians, like, and he was like, I didn't yet, but I'm going to see him tomorrow. And so he talks to Coach Arians and BA says, yeah, I wanted to talk to that girl. but She never called me. <laughs> so you were supposed to have called him and so you were well, waiting for a call well, that wasn't going to come right. and but for this intervention you would have never known that and you would have just thought oh that wasn't in the cards for me yeah and so he's like you know and and so my friend told him that I was going to be in Phoenix and he's like great have her come out to practice so mm -hmm. he invited me out to practice and then you know, he had already done a bunch of research on me, both in talking to my coaches and this guy. And, you know, he really knew, like, I was kind of shocked. I was like, oh, right. So he invites me out and, and we really hit it off. And he invited me to stay through practice and then to talk after. And at the end, he said, you know, I've really been thinking a lot about this. And, you know, I, I don't know yet if I can make it happen. Um, I have to get a whole lot of yeses, but I want you to know it's in my heart to try. Mm -hmm. And I just remember being like, you know, and so there was no banging down the door. There was nobody, but, you know, BA and I, but it really was him um, moving that needle. And, you know, I am so appreciative of that, like to this day, because, you know, that changed football for women. Yeah. And so, so you were with them in terms of training camp. Tell me a little bit about that experience. What was it like? What, how were you treated? 
what did people say? Were you able to concentrate or was it, was there a spectacle at the time? Share a little bit more about what that experience was like. Did it feel real to you? Uh, I, you know, I think there's a little bit of all of the above it, you know, sometimes it still doesn't feel real to me. Um, but it, it was football, right? Like, and that was the thing, like it, it felt really big until it was football. Like I thought about a story the other day, um, because, you know, Sarah Thomas is a, is a great friend to this day. And, you know, we always laugh. We say our, our destinies are intertwined. Um, and, she, for the first time in Monday night football that I noticed it actually had a snapback. So you could see her ponytail, mm-hmm. right? So this blonde, beautiful ponytail was popping and it brought me back to training camp where, you know, when we got our clothes, the, you know, the hats that we got were the ones with no ponytail holder. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, Just- me, I'm used to be an athlete, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this hat. I don't know if we have to wear everything that they put in the box, but I'm trying to like, you know, do what I think is the right stuff. Right. And so I had put this hat on and so, which meant my hair had to be down. Right. And then we got into it and this is the first practice and we went to do something. And of course the hat flies off. Right. Cause it's not going to stay put on my head. Yeah. And you know, in about two seconds, you know, my hair is up in a ponytail and I'm like teaching somebody and uh, VA just laughed. He was like, well, that didn't last. <laughs> right. And I was like, VA, I can't do anything with that hat. And he was like, I like getting a ponytail coach. And I was like, so I don't have to wear it. And he goes, nah. And he was like, well, we can get one that'll go with your ponytail. Right. Uh-huh. Like and he made sure they got like a hat that, that, you know, yeah, had a ponytail. with the little thing. And he was like, well, that didn't last long. I guess you're not supposed to be buttoned up. And I was like, nah, coach, I, I can't, I can't with that. And he said, good, I like the ponytail better. And so I thought about that, you know, with Sarah the other day, finally getting a snapback. Like this took five years to get a snapback, right? This shouldn't happen. And yet it really was a reflection of how all in they were. Um, the players were really excited to be a part of history. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, BA did that made it so special was, you know, he actually asked their opinion um, before he made that decision. He went to the leaders in the locker room and said, you know, this is, this is what I'm thinking of doing. And when they were all for it, um, he moved forward. Mm-hmm. And so, so you were welcome were, when you got there. Mm-hmm. The players were a part of the decision and they got to be a part of wanting to change things and being a part of history. Yeah. And, you know, that I think has made them, you know, some of my greatest advocates then and now, right? Like I got a message from Calais Campbell the other day who, you know, was with me in Arizona. And he was like, man, coach, I just got to say, um, every time I see another woman get in the league, I just want you to know how proud of you I am, right? Like you started it. I think there's a lot of external noise, which is always hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but internally it was, it was better than I could have imagined. So you did not in your journey in that experience feel isolated. You felt supported because I think that also is something, you know, can go both ways. Sometimes people feel very isolated when they're the first to overcome some type of barrier. And sometimes they feel very supported um, as it sounds like was your case. 
I, I loved, I loved every minute um, in Arizona with the players and coaches. Like I, I really couldn't have asked for a better situation. Yeah. I mean, you're still isolated in a way because you are different. Yeah. Right. Like, Oh, uh, you know, how do I handle this situation? Cause it's all new, Yeah. but you know, I never felt like I was on an Island and I think that's different. Yeah. Um, you know, because the guys were so excited and because we would laugh often and because it was different, um, you know, and, and they loved like, you know, they had watched my game film. They knew everything about me as a player when I walked in the door, you know, and they, they just really, um, were so fantastic about it that like the things that were hard were external. So when I felt like I lost my way, I just really zoomed in on like being present in the moment and, and, and really being good at being with them and, and, you know, let the rest of the stuff figure it out. I didn't, I didn't need to, I didn't need to read the social media or the headlines or, you know, hear the haters. I just needed to be there and be, be great with my team. Yeah. And so let me ask this because we're running, we're running out of time now and I want you to be able to leave the viewers and the listeners with some Dr. Jen advice. And so what would you tell people who are contemplating untraditional career paths who are following dreams that they don't see a lot of people follow and, and how would you encourage them to stay motivated? And once they do start living those dreams, how do you encourage them to think outside of the box and expand their dreams even further? You know, I think the first thing is, you know, not getting as focused on the outcome hmm. um, because then it feels like you either succeeded or failed. I think really focus on being great um, and, and following what it is that you love because some things aren't meant to be like your, your paycheck or your traditional career. And yet that doesn't mean they're any less valuable, yeah. right? For all of the years that I never cashed a check for playing women's football, because even the small ones we got, I, I kept them. I didn't cash them. You know, football was the place that taught me I could be magic. Yeah. And, you know, it, it And it was that film that your players were later looking at when they had confidence in you as a coach. Right. And so it wasn't like, I was only succeeding in, in playing football if I was getting paid to do it. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I think still for all the women in football, like you're winning just by stepping out on that field because it's a place that people don't think that you belong or that you can win, right? So what, what your goal is or what the outcome is, is really important to put into context mm -hmm. because if I was only women winning because I was getting paid, then I wouldn't have won my entire pro women's football career. But if winning is about changing the game, if it's about- You wouldn't have had, had an ability to have the full career in coaching as well. That's right. If and you so, you know, and I think that too often people let money be the determining factor of whether they think something is worthy or not, or, or something is worthwhile. Yeah. And, I just, I, I don't believe in that. I think our, our lives are meant to be a mix of, of different opportunities. And that when you focus on being great in them, right. And really, you know, giving your all to them, 
how they're meant to figure in your life, like you'll figure that out. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I, I consider myself an artist, not because somebody wants to buy my art, but because I can create beauty. And, and I think that when you have that mindset, um, it allows you to find a lot more balance and joy mm-hmm. in your life. And so- it also allows you to like, try things and at times face plant epically and still be okay with yourself in the morning. Yeah. I think that is hugely important because I think so often, uh, especially the further along you get the, the outcome is what you fixate on. And, and I think that advice, especially as you're navigating non-traditional pathways, especially, but not just limited to that is so important for people to hold on to. And so I have really enjoyed our conversation. I know that you have done many, many things to empower women and, and uplift sports and, and just to be a trailblazer. So if somebody wants to follow what's going on with Dr. Jen, where can they find you on social media or on website? Can you share a little bit about where people can follow you? For sure. Um, so my website is jenwelter.com really easy. And it's like a welterweight in boxing, meaning I have been punching above my weight class since I was born. I'm not even heavy enough for my own weight class. It's a thing. Um, <laughs> my Twitter handle is at jwelter47. It's welter47 on Instagram. That's kind of an athlete code, right? Like <laughs> more 47 my whole career. So the number does make sense. Um, uh, let's see. It's, it's Dr. Jen Welter on Facebook. I don't know if I said that one yet. No, and um, I think it's Welter 47 on LinkedIn as well. So there you go. Well, there you have it. And I appreciate you sharing your story, your encouragement, your journey, your trials, your tribulations, but most importantly, just being willing to be authentic in sharing your experience so that other people can hear a little piece of their own story in yours and find some inspiration. So thank you, Dr. Jen. I cannot wait to see and hear what happens next for you. And same to you. Thank you. I would like to extend a special thank you to the Texas Signal for its support of our podcast.